0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you, I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How are we doing? Yeah. Listen, worship was just, that was insane. I'm ready to just punch a demon right in the face, like right now. Like, let's Let's go. We would preach about spiritual warfare. We could just sing our way right through it. Come on. Wow, that was awesome. Um, yeah, hey, we are, we are, like John said, wrapping up Ephesians today. Um, I really prayed on, thought about, man, should we spend some more time? Like certainly you could go through the armor of God and you can take six weeks if you wanted to. You could really just take your time going through this and it would be worth it. And, and yet, I just really felt uh, pressed by the Lord. I really felt directed by the Lord that no, we're just supposed to be done today. So it's going to feel like I'm going quick because I am. Uh, We're covering a lot of ground today, Uh, but at the end of the day, what I know is true is that we can get the high-level conversation, we can understand it. There's more that we could unpack and more that we could pull out of the armor of God that would be beneficial to us. Uh, But at the end of the day, what we need to understand is really even just last week's message. It's last week's message that we don't fight for victory in our life, we fight from victory in our life. Like our effort is to remain tethered to the one who is strong. We stay steeped in, we stay connected to his strength. That's what this passage is about. That that we would simply understand that our role in the story is the damsel in distress. Jesus is our mighty warrior. And as long as we stay close to him, he's going to watch out for us. And I thought Kent just did a wonderful job unpacking that message. If you missed it, you got to just go back and watch it. You have to go watch it. None of this will make as much sense as it should. But today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some of the logistics of now the armor of God. We're going to get into some of the specifics of now what it looks like as we apply it into our lives. All right. And so I I really do. I've just it's so fun preaching because I get to I get to be the first one fired up about the message. You know what I mean? Like, I just get to let the Lord work on me all week as I learn stuff. And, and I really do feel like we're going to walk out of here ready to charge hell with a water pistol at the end of this message. Just like, come on, Satan, let's go. Like, let's roll up on somebody that's walking in the armor of God, walking in their calling. Y'all good this morning? Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's uh, open on up to Ephesians chapter six. I'm going to read the whole thing first and then we'll kind of I'll give you my outline a little bit. I'm going to back up and read starting in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 10, where Kent started last week. Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, all, not some, not a few, not most, all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, my words may be, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you, may also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Jesus, I pray this is all you today. God, I pray it's all your Holy Spirit that is filling us up, that is empowering us, that is sustaining us, that is is charging us ready for the battle that you have us in, Lord. I pray with such kind of a weird topic and one that's been taken to be so weird throughout our lives, and we maybe heard the teaching, we have the crazy ant. I just ask that you would, uh, the crazy charismatic ant is what I meant there, Lord, um, just ask that you'd help make this not weird, that we would see this is what's in the Bible today. This is the truth of scripture today. And so I pray that we would be ready to stand, ready to fight in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I do think it's a little bit of a weird topic. We've made it weird over the years, right? You maybe have that crazy charismatic aunt in your family who like just is like rolling up with anointing oil, rolling up, like ready to just cast out a demon. Like we have these people, we've seen these movies, right? Like you've seen The Exorcist. And so when I say spiritual battle, you get framed up in a certain way that you already think you know what it is. And what I hope to do today, um, Sun Tzu has has a quote from The Art of War. So, like every good sermon, you know, we're going to quote the art of war when we start. Um, he says, if you know yourself and if you know your enemy, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. And I just think that's awesome because he's picking up on something here that if we can properly understand who we are in this fight, if we can properly understand who our enemy is in this fight, then we don't need to fear the outcome. Jesus has got it, right? And, and so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at and we're going to tackle who our enemy is. Who's the enemy? What, what does he do? What are his schemes? He has schemes. It's, the text says we're in an evil day. So, so right now, like the devil is, he has some dominion. He has some power over things. We don't like to admit that, right? And we can overemphasize it. Like Kent talked about last week, we can, instead of seeing one demon under every bush, we can see 50 demons under every bush. And we can think about the exorcist and we can think about all this stuff. But, but I think the greater danger to where we stand today is acting like there's no battle. Yes. Just to say that nothing's going on. Because, you know, we're sitting here as post-enlightenment Christians in America. And so what I mean by that is like, like for thousands of years, humans accepted the fact that there are, there are forces beyond our knowing, beyond our control that are influencing and impacting the world we live in. And then you have the enlightenment, and that particularly is a period of time where all of a sudden now kind of this science and the study of all things that are measurable all things that can be seen and touched and felt. Now, if we can just get a grip on them better, right? This is since the Enlightenment. We study things, and I'm not knocking science, okay? I think science is awesome. I just think that we're so convinced that if we can just learn more about a certain topic, if we can just study and, and discover different things, that if we can be more woke to the different things that are going on in the world, then we can solve all the problems. That will solve all the problems. And, and yet, we sit here a few hundred years past the Enlightenment, in, in like Western America, where we just have a solution for everything, there's a pill for that, there's a, there's a solution that like you can just buy this monthly plan and you'll be good, and, and, and yet we've made so many scientific discoveries, so many breakthroughs in the realm of like psychology, we know more about the human brain than ever before, we understand more about markets and economies and, and just the way that family dynamics should work, we, we've learned so much, and yet I think you can make the argument that we're more depressed than ever before. We're more stimulated, more medicated than maybe ever before. We're more anxious than maybe ever before. It's because the battle's spiritual. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not just, there are certainly physical obstacles. There are certainly physical barriers that we are confronted with that we have to deal with. But there's also spiritual ones. And so right away, I noticed that, like, the enemy, who he's not, the enemy is not flesh and blood. Turn to your spouse right now, just say, You are not my enemy. Come on, somebody. You are not my enemy. Turn to whoever you came with today. Say, you are not my enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your friend that keeps ditching you, that keeps ghosting you, they're not your enemy. Uh, Like, we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against, like, a, a real evil enemy. And he's out, like, I think we get so confused with the devil. We think that if, like, his goal is to get us to show up at a satanic, like, worship cult ceremony sometime in our life. We think that's what the devil's after. And I love John Larson, one of our elders, one of our youth leaders said this in a sermon one time to the youth group. He said, the devil's not trying to get you to worship him. Like maybe that, like like he'd think that was great if you worship him, but ultimately what the devil's trying to do, he's just trying to get you to worship anything other than Jesus. That's his goal. And the place he's going to start is with you because that's the easiest sell for him. It's to worship yourself because you think you're awesome right? You are awesome. You just, you know what I mean? That's what the devil's trying to get at. He's trying to get you to worship yourself. And we think he's like this. We think he's like this greasy pig looking, pointy ear, pitchfork carrying dude, right? And, and really, here's what, here's what Jesus says of him in John 8. John 8 it says that now he was a murderer. He, he's speaking to Pharisees about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He cannot tell, he cannot tell an honest answer. He will always be lying. And so even as he uses truth, when you see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, he's using truth. It's his greatest weapon is to use the word of God, but he twists it just a little. He perverts it just a little. He takes the meaning just and just distorts it a bit. And when you start to sprinkle in anything that's not truth into the truth, you get a lie. There's no half-truths. There's only lying. He is, he is not telling the truth. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I have that word speaks in bold because the, the devil's going to be referred to as many things throughout scripture. He's going to be called a, the slanderer. He's going to be called the accuser. He's going to be called a liar, the deceiver. All of those things take words. All of those things take words. And so the devil is playing his battle. He's playing his game in the area, in the realm of words. And so you have a thought you're like, oh my gosh, you ever had one of those, right? Don't leave me alone up here. Like you have one of those thoughts. You're like, where did that come from? Yes. It probably didn't come from you. Maybe it did, but the devil's speaking to you. He's whispering in your ear. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to destroy. His chief aim is to destroy your relationship with Jesus. And, and that's why like getting up to go to church on Sunday morning is hard, right? You're like ready to go to church any other day of the week and then you wake up Sunday morning and your kid's throwing a fit. You got shoes that are lost. You got like, f- you're fighting with your spouse on the way here. Like, and that's, there's this attack that's going because he's trying to get your relationship with God off. So he'll attack you. He'll attack your church. He'll attack your relationships that matter most in your life. Your friendships, your spouse that's trying to create a relationship that's beautiful, honoring and glorifying to Jesus. That's the one that he's going to be after. I think we get so uh, just off, and maybe some of this comes from teaching. It's certainly out there in some churches, that if you, if you really had faith, you wouldn't be facing trials. Uh, that's out there, right? Like if you just had more faith, then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be facing that. And, and uh, that's poor theology, I think. I mean, I think you ask any of the New Testament authors if that's true. You got guys that are imprisoned. You got guys that are beaten. You got guys that are crucified upside down. Like trials happened, right? We love to say trials are, you know, masks on our face these days. And I don't know, there's Christians that went to jail for stuff and they got beaten for stuff. It's just a good reminder to be reminded what persecution really looks like. Amen? Amen. So anyways, Austin, you're talking about masks. What's wrong, bro? Nothing's wrong. Okay. I'm just, we're just going there a little bit. Um, So you got, you got this, this like thought in your head that because I'm facing a trial, Um, Like, I don't have enough faith. Well, like, I can only reduce it down to sports analogies sometimes. And I apologize for that. Like, I know some of you are a lot more, like, nuanced and and creative than me. And just my, like, basketball analogy that I always come back to. But um, that's just me. This is my life. This is who I am, okay? So this is what you got. Uh, In basketball, like, I don't know if when I was in high school, they must have, like, scouting on me or whatever. Because if I ever caught the ball on the three-point line, uh, nobody would guard me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd get the ball, I'd be on the three point line. It's like the whole team had the full direct order from the coach. Like, don't even, like, we want him to shoot the ball. Like, please, like just leave him alone. Like, please give him enough space so that he will shoot because then we'll get the rebound and the ball will be going the other way. I think that plays on your faith. Are you a threat? If, are you so comfortable? Are you doing things that are so easy? Are you just operating in your strength all the time that, that, you're, that you're not really a threat to the enemy? I think when we, you know, when you're following God's plan, when you're facing opposition, that's when the devil's going to come against you. That's when he's going to start accusing things. That's when he's going to start slandering you. That's when he's going to start being like that little voice chipping in your head. That's when he's going to bring this friend against you all of a sudden, when you're following God's plan. I've talked to so many high schoolers um, when it's like, we come back from desperation conference. They're like, why, why am I under attack all of a sudden? I'm like, think about what you just, the decisions you made at desperation, we were just at camp, we were just at conference, you were all in, you were fired up, you had all this passion, right? And then you come home and it wanes and you get apathetic or you get under attack and it's because God's speaking to you. He's trying to use you to do something and that's when the enemy is going to try and speak up against you. So yes, we face opposition. Yes, we face persecution. That's when the devil is going to come against us. Um, Luke 22 we don't have time to read the whole story this morning, but I think it's a really fascinating look at uh, how Jesus is going to be interacting with the devil here as the, the, the context of Luke 22 here is where um, the, Jesus is warning Peter that he's about to deny him three times. You know, we, we love to pick on Peter because Peter gets the warning. And if you know the story, he still denies him, right? He fails miserably. But, but as Jesus is warning him, he says, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you. He's asked to shake you. He's asked to just like get you up to, to just really to ship, mix you up to see what's really in there. And then I, I, don't, I don't think the sifting so much. I just wonder. I'm sure the sifting is the temptation as, as Peter's right there with his friend, as, as the one he knows is the Messiah, the one who's been following for the last few years. And he's denying him in front of everybody three different times. Like that was absolutely sifting. That was absolutely temptation that Peter fell to. But can you imagine, though, the sifting that happened after the crucifixion for Peter? Well, we've all made mistakes, right? And I know that we're all convinced none of us have made a mistake that big. You know, for Peter, like he denied Christ right in front of him. You know, come on, bro, it's Peter. And you've all had those voices get in your head. Every Sunday at about two o'clock, I'm going to be laying on my bed, trying to take a nap. And I'm going to have just a little voice in my head going, oh, that message wasn't that great. You forgot, you forgot the whole point. That was the only point that mattered. Like, what are you, are you kidding? There's no transformation that came from that message today. So like, I can only imagine what Peter went through in that moment after the crucifixion where the devil just came at him and picked him apart, tried to slander him, tried to uh, condemn him, tried to heap guilt and shame on his life. And that's what I think is so beautiful about then Jesus, after his triumphant resurrection, his victory over death, he comes back to Peter and three separate times offers him the redeeming chance to say, "Peter, do you love me right it's a beautiful story, and it 's just a great reminder that, that our salvation our like what our relationship with jesus is not is not hinging on our ability to be strong we 're fighting to enforce what he's given to us, and when we just get to put all of our effort into abiding with him and to be, to be enmeshed in, like Kent was talking about last week, that we would just like wrap our lives around who he is and that that would be where we get to fight from victory, knowing that Jesus has paid it all for us. And so I I just love that, that we try to get off thinking that we're never going to be tempted. We're never going to have hard times because we have this victory, but no, the battle is real. The battle is there. It's happening. And, and I heard a pastor say this week as I was preparing, uh, the, the devil's badge of doubt always starts with an if statement. As I read these, just like listen in your own mind, in your own history, if, God, if, if, if you've ever just had this, not by God, but if the devil's ever spoken something like this over you, well, if you loved God, then you wouldn't have done that again. Uh, you said you wouldn't, but you did. If you really loved God, you wouldn't have given yourself over again. If you really loved Jesus, you'd be a better dad. You'd be a more patient mom, better businessman. Uh, you, you maybe could be successful if you didn't come from that family. Look at your family history. You're not going to make it out of there. If you had more faith, you, you wouldn't be going through that diagnosis, that circumstance. If you were really saved, you wouldn't think that. That thought would never come in your mind if you were really saved. Now, do you hear like in all those statements, how there's, there is a little truth in there there's a little bit of truth in each of those statements, but, but what the devil does is he's going to twist the truth just enough to keep you condemned That's right. because you know the difference between con- condemnation and conviction, right? Condemnation longs to just heap shame, heap guilt so that you would stay and you'd be convinced this is the only thing, the only place for me. Whereas conviction doesn't fail to acknowledge that you made a mistake. Conviction sees the mistake, but then it invites you out of it. It says, hey, look, well, okay, well, yeah, you, you made a mess. We're going this way. We're repenting, turning the other way. So the devil would love to just keep all these, to create these if statements that put these false dichotomies in your life that convince you it can only either be one or the other, which instead what, what, what we're gonna learn in the Bible is that we're, we're actually transformed one degree to another, looking more and more like Christ all the time. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect when I get saved. Yes, I'm gonna make mistakes, but my goodness, like I'm not, I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm just gonna try and look more and more like Jesus as I go. We, you have to be, before we jump into the armor, you just have to acknowledge that, that even though we like to approach things in such a linear mechanistic way in the Western world, and we like to see problems and we think if we just change different inputs here and there, if we just change different things, like, oh, if you want to go to a good school, well, then you just got to show up to class. You got to get good grades. You got to have good friends. Then you'll get the good school entry. Then you'll get the good job and you'll have the good life. But but the spiritual warfare that we're in, like, this is why marriage is hard. This is why. This is why friendships are hard. This is why This is why we get apathetic. This is why we lack passion. Do you ever just get a message on Sunday? You hear a message and you're just like fired up and like, yeah, I'm going to go. And then on Monday morning, you're like, ah, I don't know. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to look at TikTok videos instead. Right? because the devil is longing to distort and to pull you apart from God's plan for your life and from your relationship with him. So let's jump into the armor now. Um, Oh, before we do, I have one point that I was skipping over. Um, This is why lying and gossip are such a big deal. Because when you lie, you're using the language of the devil. When you gossip, when you slander, One of you, somebody, another image bearer of God. When you start to talk poorly about them, when you start to use words to bring them down, you're you're partnering with the devil to do what he's trying to do in their life. We can't gossip. We cannot lie. We have to partner with what Jesus is doing, which is to speak and to bring life into people. So, uh, going into the armor, we're going to start with the belt of truth, and and. As, you, as I read these, if you're not really familiar with it, I know most of you are because you've been in church a long time. But as we, as we look at the armor of God, it's kind of like, wait, why is he describing some like Roman warrior, like, you know, the gladiator kind of guy? And it's because he is. Like he's in a prison as he writes this. And he's in prison bound by, probably sitting right next to him, a Roman guard. And so, yes, he's looking at the Roman guard, but I would also argue that Paul, being a studied Jewish boy— is having some of these verses out of Isaiah in his mind as well. So Isaiah 50, I think it's 59. Is that right, Don? Do we have it? Isaiah 59 says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate. He, Jesus, the coming Messiah... And a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Isaiah 52 speaks to the gospel on our feet. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring good news, who brings good news, who brings the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so, yes, Paul is using the Roman warrior in front of us, but he's using that to ultimately point us back to our ultimate warrior, our ultimate victory, which is found in Jesus. Amen? So the belt of truth. It's not like this accessory thing that like belts are now. Like women, you're kind of the worst at this, okay? You have these belts on, they're all big and like beautiful, and you're wearing it with like a dress. I'm like, it's not holding anything up. Like what's the function? Uh, Never mind. I'm gonna stay in my lane, okay? Um, It's... (laughs) It's, like, it's not like a decorative Gucci belt that you use to kind of flex on everybody with how much money you have and you got a $400 belt holding your pants up. What, what the belt is, it was, it was essential. It was, it was so much more about function to the Roman soldier than it was about fashion. Like, like you, he would put the belt on to keep everything together, to keep himself held together so that he wouldn't be tripped up and stumbling as he went. Do you see how it ties back to Truth. We have to put on God's truth. Here, I'm going to spend another minute on this one, a little extra time on this one, because I think truth is one of the things that's under attack in the culture that we live in. Because now all of a sudden we have these phrases like, well, that's, that's your truth. That's just your truth. It's so fierce how you just walk in your truth like that. I just love how you just own your truth. It's awesome. Listen, you, you, you might not agree with my lifestyle, but listen, it's just my truth. It's just my truth. There is no your truth. There is no my truth apart from the truth. Amen. So here, like, your experiences aren't even necessarily true. The way that you perceive things are not necessarily true. Good Lord, we all know the way that we feel does not actually represent reality or truth. I was, I was like five, six, seven years old, and I was with a day camp for, in the summer, Uh, going to a swim day over at the Lake Loveland Swim Beach over here, okay? And there was this microburst all of a sudden, this like crazy windstorm. And my mommy wasn't around. My daddy wasn't around. I thought I was done for. Like, I thought I was toast. I run and I'm hiding behind a car. Like, I remember I'm like hiding behind this van as sand is like pelting me everywhere. There's those big 55-gallon trash cans just like flying around. I thought that was it. I thought I was done for. And, and for the next like six years of my life, honestly, and so I was probably like 12 or 13. I remember being in middle school, looking out my window, seeing the trees start to move around. And I was like, that's it, that's it. House is gone, better go downstairs, code red. We got to get underground, like freaking out. And it didn't help that Twister came out somewhere in between there as well. And so I just was convinced that every time the wind blew, there was going to be a tornado and there was going to be a cow flying around somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And so, but that wasn't reality. I did not need to be afraid. It was an experience that in my head, my emotions, my perception of what happened, got conflated, got exaggerated in my mind, and it was detached from what was real. And and so like, you can just remember this, maybe in your own life where you're just so convinced if that girl didn't like you back in middle school, you weren't gonna make it. And you did, you did. You were maybe convinced that if I don't get this job, if God doesn't come through with this interview, I'm done and you bomb it and you still paid rent. Even if you didn't pay rent, you're still here. God's still providing. Like you have something in your life. If you can go back, you were just, you were sold in a moment. You believed if this didn't come through, if this didn't happen because this happened, I was always going to be here. And yet just look back. Like we're saying, do it again. Look back at the faithfulness of God to see that that wasn't True. It wasn't true. Truth is not an experience. Truth is not a feeling. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven apart from him. Like, listen to some of these verses. John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Psalm 19, the sum of your word is truth and your righteous rules will endure forever. These righteous rules are enduring forever. This book is not antiquated. This book is not dated. It is not irrelevant to your life today. God's righteous rules will endure forever. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. That's how we'll grow up in every way. John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You can choose to adorn yourself with your own belt made of your own truth, and it's going to fail you. I just, I promise you that there's life in the truth that's available in this word, in a relationship with the truth, Jesus His belt will hold your life together despite your circumstances, despite the things that are going on. His truth will be like a guiding compass for you. The last one that I want to read is Psalm 18. This God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all of those who take refuge in him. If you want to try and hide out in the day of evil under your truth, you're going to get burnt. You're going to get smoked. If you want to take refuge, Psalm 91, if you want to hide under the shield of his truth, you will be saved. The next armor, the next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness, but I want to tackle it and I want to kind of go out of order here and bring up the helmet of salvation with it. So we have this breastplate made of righteousness and we have this helmet of salvation. And the reason I want to tackle them both together is because they both guard inputs. They both guard things coming into your heart and into your mind. Critical areas, Uh, Proverbs 4, Solomon writes, above all else, above all else, the the smartest guy, the wisest guy, probably of all time, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Second Corinthians 10, 5, we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's what you have to keep in mind. If, If your helmet was made out of the way that you saved yourself, you'd never be able to hold on to it. If it was because of the awesome things that you did and you were climbing this kind of Christian moral ladder where you were convinced that if I just behave better, if I just show up at church, then I'll be saved. If that's how you think you earned the helmet, then you're going to lose the helmet because I just have news for you. Like you're going to continue going on in this life and you're not going to be able to be as righteous as you think you ought to be. That's all of us. But because the helmet of salvation comes from Jesus's salvation that he offered to me, that it's a faithful assurance that i have that he's going to give me that helmet not to be taken from me i belong to him and so when i make mistakes and i have things that i do wrong those accusations that condemnation that guilt that slander starts to come my way and i get to put it over my ears and i get to go i'm not listening to that i belong to jesus i am going to heaven i know where my eternity lies the righteousness that you put on like a breastplate. Like if, if it was made of your own righteousness, you all know what your own breastplate would look like. Be holes all up in that thing. You'd have scars from where people got you. But that's not the righteousness that you've been given. You've put your faith, you've put your trust in Jesus. You have been saved. You have the helmet. But you also get the perfect blemish-free life that he lived. He never sinned. He never thought about sinning. He never did anything wrong. And that righteousness is now credited to your bank account and it's strapped to your chest. So, so when I get these accusations that come at me and it goes, well, oh, you've made that mistake before, you're going to make it again. No, I don't have to make that mistake again. Sin may call, I may answer the phone, but I don't have to. That is not who I am anymore. I'm wearing the righteousness of Christ. That, is, that does not define me. Those things that I've done before, that thing that I may have fallen to, uh, does not define who I am. I'm defined by who Jesus is, how he walked on this earth and his righteousness has been credited to my account. Amen. It's breastplate. You have the helmet. Both are guarding things that are coming in so that those accusations, they can't stick to me. Third one is putting on the readiness of, I'm sorry, the fourth one, putting on the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's kind of a weird one, right? Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. That's how some translations say, which I just think is dope. But um, you think of like those kind of gladiator sandals that some ladies wear. I don't know why I'm like using so much women's fashion today. It just is where I'm at right now. So you think of like those gladiator sandals, but really like a Roman soldier, it would have been like this leather boot that strapped all the way up to their knee, but, but there were cleats in the bottom of it. There are these spikes in the bottom that kept their footing sure so that no matter what circumstance or situation they found in, they had a steadiness about them. You think about how you describe somebody who has peace in their life. Like, I don't know, you just can't shake them. Can't get them off their game. I used to do this exercise all the time with students and I think it's so important for all of us to do, but can you take 30 seconds and can you just articulate the gospel in your mind? Do you know it? Well, pastor, that's your job. No, it's not. It's not my job to just tell you the gospel. You should know the gospel by now. If you're new today, I'll tell you the gospel right now. In the beginning, it was perfect. God created everything and it was done perfectly. He created man and woman in his own image. And even though they had every ability, all the capacity to continue walking in a perfect relationship with the Lord, they chose to rebel. And as a result of that, all of humanity, all of the earth has now been fractured. It's been set off its course so that we are no longer in relationship with God. And God then gave us all the tools so that we could repair the relationship with God. He gave us the law. He gave us all these different things to Israel. And he gave it to them to say, hey, okay, here's the perfect system, the perfect setting so that you can actually be obedient to me. And we as humans, all of us participate in this, we still, we see the means to God and we still choose to rebel and go our own way. And so God says, I got to fix this once and for all. And he wraps himself in flesh, in the person of Jesus. He condescends, comes down from heaven to walk as a man, to be tempted as a man, to face everything that we face and to still, even in the midst of all that temptation, to walk a perfect, sinless life. So that when he goes to the cross and he pays for our sins and he pays, he dies the death that we deserved and he, he bears a punishment that we could not take so that his perfect righteous life is now credited to us so that our relationship can be restored by him, not by the things that we do, but by the faith in clinging to him. And now that I've put my faith and my trust in Jesus, I get to long for one day when he's going to restore and make all things beautiful, perfect, and right. And I got to participate in that work right now. That's the gospel. And when you get that, and when you walk around people who get that, their life is steady. COVID is happening and they just keep going. There's tyrannical overreach of the government and they keep going going. The economy wanes. They lose their business. Their relationship fails. And they keep walking because they know the big picture. They know the story. They know the good news. They know the gospel. Put on the gospel of peace on your feet. Shield of faith is the last piece of armor. And, and, and the word shield here is the word door. And so Roman soldiers would have two kinds of shields. They would have like the round shield that you kind of see in Gladiator or whatever, but then they also had a shield that was like the size of a door. this big old shield. And, and Roman custom and tradition would tell us that each of those shields were measured according to each man. So that it was the exact height and the exact width that it needed to be to keep them safe, to keep them uh, from the enemy's attack. And I think that's beautiful when you understand and read that next to Romans twelve three, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You have been given a measure of faith. God has good works that he's prepared for you for your life ahead of time. And he gave you the faith, he entrusted with you the exact measurement of that faith that it would take to accomplish and to walk in all the things that he's called you to. So the saying, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Just like, yeah, right. Like my whole life is more than I can handle. (laughs) Trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good pastor to all of you people, trying to like lead this team well, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is more than I could ever do. In my own strength, I don't even think I could really do one of those well. God will never give you more than he can handle through you. That's true. Praise God. But he's given each of us a specific allotment of faith so that if you have a dream in your heart, if you have a vision, you feel like you have this specific mission, this, this calling that God has put on your life, you will know that's true because you will have the faith that it takes to get there. You will have the faith that it takes to arrive you to that destination. And and this is just amazing because what we tend to do is we tend to look at our amount of faith allotted to me and my calling and my purpose, and we tend to compare it to everybody else's. But I'm never going to do some of the things that you're going to do. And you're never going to do some of the things that I do. And yet together, we're all called to work in and to be a part of this beautiful body that's equipped and gifted differently to do different things to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of our Savior. But if we get so petty with comparing shields to people, I wasn't meant to stand behind your shield. You weren't built to stand behind mine. We have to know and, 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 be, and be confident in what God has called us to do. Not coveting other people's faith, other people's calling, other people's purpose, other people's gifting. And as we operate and we walk in our calling, you will be given the faith that you need to extinguish all the fiery darts from the enemy. So again, you're going to know if you're facing opposition that you're probably marching in the direction you're supposed to be marching in. But God has given you faith to persevere. God has given you faith to continue. And that faith is going to knock out all of the things that the enemy is trying to scheme against you. You notice that nothing from the armor is guarding our backside, it's all on the front. And that's because we're called to push forward, we're called to stand, we're called to fight. Take your stand and get involved in the fight. Just like John said, I love that. As you were hosting up here just a minute ago, he's talking about how um, you you only dress if you're getting in the game. You only dress if you're getting in the game. So put on the armor of God. And now we're gonna talk about taking up the weapons. I think there's two here. The sword of the spirit is mentioned explicitly, but I think implicitly prayer is the second weapon. So the first one, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now that word, word, is used with two different Greek words throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament especially, that, that you have the word uh, logos and you have the word rhema. So each of those, are, they're different. They're different. And, and logos is, is uh, it's, it's scripture. It's what's been written. It's, it's the bigger idea. It's the word where we get the word logic from is logos, logic, and it's the, it's the picture of something that helps us cast up the proper idea or proper reality of something. And so what's cool about that is in John 1, when John, and it's the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word for word is logos. And so Jesus is the manifestation of the word of God. He's the picture of God the Father in human flesh so that we can understand who God is. It's cool, right? All right, maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's cool. That's, that's cool. Rhema is the spoken word of God. It's an utterance spoken by a living being. The word here for sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is rhema. Is Rama. It's something God speaks to you in a moment. It's not necessarily just the overarching logos. It's not the overarching word of God. And you know this, right? You know that when you get in a situation or you're walking through a tragedy, we do this as Christians. We slap these little bumper sticker Christian phrases on everything so that someone just like had a loved one pass away. And you're like, listen, God's in control. Thanks. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of grieving here. You know, I'm sad. I just need you to kind of carry this with me for a moment, but yeah, God's in control. Awesome. Thank you. Right. You've been there before you you lose your job and and someone's just like, you know what? God knows. God knows. Like, I know God knows. Like, I don't know though, how I'm going to pay rent at the end of the month. They're like, please, like somebody help me out here. But we, And I'm not saying that all those phrases are, are not helpful. Like, certainly, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is good for us. But some is better in a moment than others. And so, this is why it's, it's a rhema word. Because you need something that God has spoken to you, that he's highlighted for you, so that you can take your sword in the day of evil and fight against what the devil's coming at you with. I, I uh... I've felt like just God's put Joshua on my heart. I don't know if for the fall or just for the last week or whatever, but I've just been been like reading in the book of Joshua. And over and over, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Take courage, take courage. You know, all these different phrases. And I'm just like, okay, maybe that's something. I feel like God's speaking something to me so that I would tuck it in my heart so I'd be ready for it whenever it comes up that I need it. I I, I just like... Th- the more that, I can't necessarily prove this neatly with a text, but I absolutely believe the more you are familiar with and in the Logos, the Word of God, the actual book, the better you will understand and know when God's trying to speak a Rhema word to you. you gotta spend time in this book. My sheep know my voice, right? he's the good shepherd. We're the sheep. We got to know our father's voice. We got to know what he's speaking to us. Uh, this is so helpful for me because our small group has been going through this book, uh, called four keys to hearing God's voice. And it's by a guy, something Berkler. Um, and I, I don't necessarily like, there's some weirder stuff in the book. There was some stuff that I kind of like had to wrestle with a little bit, but there was some absolutely, uh, good stuff in this book for all of our group to go through. And, uh, one of the things that was like super helpful for me, I see some of my buddies smiling right now, but I like the, the thought that like Christian meditation and the way the world sees meditation are completely different. And I just got to share this with you because I think it'll help somebody. But I like, I, I always thought of like quiet time as this like, all right, I'm gonna do everything I can to just get like a black screen in my head, like in my mind's eye, you know, like nothing on that screen. And then like a thought would pop into my head, and be like, nope. no. Close that tab, like throw it out, like, no, don't do that. No, no, I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying to be still before the Lord, you know, and like that was kind of how I would approach quiet time. But the way that, like, that's the way the world sees quiet time or the way the world sees meditation, the way the Christian should see meditation is not to be empty of mind, but to be full of a revelation to have a quiet mind, have a still mind so that a revelation could be spoken and given to me. So I just like, I heard that and I was like, oh my gosh, how many things has God tried to speak to me? And I was just like, no, no, get out of my head. Like, and God's like, you dummy, like I'm trying to say something to you, you know? (laughs) And I just, I think, I hope that helps you that like, man, yes, get still before the Lord so that you can receive something that he's trying to show you. Your weapon, the weapon is your hand as God speaking a word to you. It's giving you a picture, giving you a battle cry in a moment, a faith phrase that you would latch onto. Let the Logos become a rhema. Let it be so familiar with this book that God could show you something. You're like, I know what that verse says. Tuck it into your heart. The last thing that we'll close with, take up your sword, fight tru- fight lies with truth. I love that too, that like, man, that is the truth that is our weapon against the enemy's schemes. But the final one's prayer. And I think that the way Paul ends this here is he shows us three different directions sort of to pray. He says in verse 18, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication, that word just means like this earnest like begging, just petitioning over and over, asking, asking. So prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So he says, So he says, Pray first in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And I think we, you know, we maybe like think that's just tongues or just a prayer language, you know? Uh, and I, I really don't think that that's exactly what this is. I think that can be included in this. When you pray in the spirit, I think that is a prayer language. It can be praying in tongues. But, but I think what Paul shows us in Corinthians is that when you're praying in tongues, when you're praying in your prayer language, like your spirit is present, but your mind is detached from what's happening. And that's not what he's saying here. He, he's saying prayer and supplication, praying with the spirit, like you, you are engaged in what's happening, but praying in the spirit. I heard John Piper put it this way this week, and this will hopefully just fire you up. Like if you could just read back, through all your prayer requests, are you praying in a way that it's more like you, you are asking the hotel concierge for something? Or are you praying knowing that you have a direct line to the general's office in an army? Like, how are you, how are you praying? Are, are, you, are you praying in a way where you just, like, know, like, you're just praying all the logical things in your mind, you're just praying through your day, praying through all the things that you have going on, just the best way that you can think about it? Or do you actually, like, let God speak to you in a moment when you're praying? Do you listen when you pray? Sometimes we can get into prayer, and we're just like, oh, this, and I need a house, and a car, and uh, the kids in school, blah, blah, blah. you just go, 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 and God's probably like, oh, oh, okay, amen, bye, yeah, see you later, you know, like, he wants to speak something to you, you're praying in a way that's dependent on the Holy Spirit, you're saying, God, show me what to pray for, open the eyes of my heart, like Ephesians 1 talks about, open me up, let me see the things that you're seeing in my, le- in my day. I know we're a couple minutes late, but I'm just going to close here with just the last couple things. Um, he says to, to pray for each other, to pray for each other. So he says, pray for yourself in the spirit and also pray for one another. Uh, and I think that's pivotal. Like you have to, I hope you know some people here. Like I hope you're praying for, like maybe your life is awesome right now and nothing's really going wrong right now. Uh, but even if that's the case, like there are people in this room who are, who are in it they're in it right now. They're fighting right now. Would you cover them in prayer? Would you send the aerial support their way, so to speak? And to do that, you got to We like, this is why we believe in small groups because as awesome as this is, we are a family. We're not a Sunday show. So as we roll into the semester, into the fall semester, like I hope you get in a small group somewhere. And if there isn't one for you, man, maybe there's a lot of people like you and you should start one. And you should just get in a group so that you can get life on life with each other. Because like, listen, I know the people in my small group. I know the things that are going on. I know the attacks that the enemy's throwing at them. I know the things that they're struggling with right now and I'm praying for them consistently. I'm covering them. So we gotta be praying for one another and that's gonna take relationship. The last one is this, and this is unique, but I think it's pivotal for the time that we live in right now. He says, and also pray for me. Paul says, pray for me, would you? Would you just, would you pray for your church leadership? Lord knows I could use your prayers. Thank you, Terrell. I could use your prayer. Our staff could use your prayer. Our elders could use your prayer. Our trustees could use your prayer. We're doing a lot right now. The world is in a weird place. And, and not, don't just stop there. That's why we take a moment out of every service and we pray for another church in our community. Because we are not in competition with one another. I, I am praying that God would... Like I texted a friend this morning who's in Fort Collins and his church isn't open for in-person services yet. They are in CSU and so they don't even have access to their normal room at least until January. And I, and I hear... Some of us going, oh, you know, our church has been open since June. You know, kind of this, what's up? If you have time to be critical of other pastors and how they're viewing this pandemic and how they're planning out how to feed and nourish their congregation, then you have time to pray for them. You have time to pray for them. I just sent this text to my buddy and I was like, dude, they're, they're starting house gatherings today because they can't be in their building. So they're meeting house to house. And that's, that's just what they're going to be doing to stay intact, to stay connected to the word All fall. I'm just like, you know what, dude, I'm praying that God would do far more abundantly than all that you could have ever asked or thought for this season. Like I'm praying that you would infiltrate and impact CSU and that you you would make a difference in Fort Collins. Can we pray for other church leaders? We're not in competition. We're on the same team. And I know that's weird that I got to say that, but we got to remind ourselves these days. So you got to get in the fight. You gotta be praying. You gotta be spending time in the spirit, just seeking the Lord, seeing what he might have for you. Know the truth. Get in the book so that when God speaks to you, you recognize your good shepherd's voice and put on the armor that he's offering to you. He's offering you his righteousness, his salvation, his shield of faith for your life, his belt of truth to keep you together. Put it on. Take it up. Get in the fight. Amen? Let's stand. I'm gonna pray. Jesus, you're awesome. And you are the ultimate warrior. Lord, we we, we just ask that even if we walked into here limping today, even if we felt like we barely made it, God, would you have delivered something that ministered to our spirits that picked us up? But would you also now show us that you're equipping us It's so much more than just survival out there, God. We We are out to fight darkness with the kingdom of light. And so I pray that you would infuse that into our souls today, that we would just receive that we were made to be more than conquerors through Christ. We don't have to tolerate little things. Help us to remember that this fight is not against flesh and blood. Help us to remember that in the tense moment with our spouse, in the tense moment with our boss, in the tense moment with the coworker, God, that, that there is a real enemy that's speaking into that circumstance. He's not creating the circumstance, but he's speaking into it and help us fight his lies with your truth. Jesus, we need you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.